This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Yoda and welcome to episode 107 of the Half Missions Podcast. I am joined by my friend, the emo, Mr. Balkanawa. How are you, pal? The emo? <laughs> Love it's that. like Batman. Ah, I see. Oh, wow. I, I, I see what you've done there. We'll get to that when we get to uh, our movie of the week, I think. How are you getting by anyway? Having a life is all good for you? Excellent. Yeah, no, really good and really hot. Like sweltering hot like it's like we're into autumn now here in new zealand and it's is, still so hot this is the classic new zealand uh end of summer right where you can have days where you actually need the, the fire or the heater on and then the next day you're you're back at the beach and it's it's all over the place now until about april when we start to sort of move into the, the darker colder period it is and talking of cold and dark it's looks so cold on the streets of ukraine and that situation, since we last spoke down, has just blown almost out of control. And I just wonder how many more weeks it's going to be before it's beyond control. I don't even know. It's a sad it's, time. Uh, it's, it's almost every time you look at the news, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. But thankfully, Paul, we're here to talk about uh, slightly more positive things Correct. most of the time. What have you been watching? I feel a bit lost coming into this podcast and without a without a james bond movie to talk about it's weird and i feel like i want to start again i feel like that's what i do um and the series of movies i was going to talk about i've still yet to watch the last one so i'm going to delay that and bring that next week um and i'll do the whole five i'll give you a clue so it's it's five movies and they were released um they were released between 2002 and 2016 so See if you're able to guess what that series of five movies might be. But um, just one thing this week, Dan. What do you got for me? An absolutely superb piece of television. It's season two of Young Wallander. So been looking forward to this one for a while. I reviewed uh, season one of Young Wallander back in, in 2020. It's a real good show. Uh, the premise of the show being... Uh, following a recently graduated police officer, Kurt Wallander, as he investigates his first case. That's essentially the synopsis that sets up season one. But now he is an established uh, detective. And yeah, six episodes. Uh, only came out a couple of weeks ago, so I will be 100% spoiler-free. But the number one thing for me for this show, and I've, I must sound like a broken record, but when it's right, it's right. And this is right. It's the writing. It's so... It's so well written. Um, the, the two writers for this show, Chris Lunt and Michael A. Walker, those are two names to definitely look out for. They take this character that's that was created by uh, Henning Henning Mankel, who does the books, and they've just they've brought him to life with some great on screen, some dialogue, some great dialogues, so much suspense, and constantly. And this is what I love. Constantly, I have no clue who might be the bad guy. Or if they do know who the bad guy is, how they might pin it on him, or you know, it's it's just one of those shows, and it's it's sort of almost creeping under the radar here in New Zealand. I feel um, in terms of exposure, but it is definitely worth checking out. 
it, look, I remember you talking about this, as you say, um, uh, several episodes are now mm. um, ago, and it, it sounded promising then. And so it still looks, uh, it sounds even better. I, I don't know why I'm not on this. I, I love a good um, UK cop show. And I, I've never watched the original. Um, so can I easily just sort of jump into this one? Or do, like, do I need that context? Yeah, you can easily jump in. And you, I mean, these sort of shows are my... I feel like I'm qualified almost to talk about these sort of shows because it is my bread and butter. So I feel like if I'm rating it, then maybe that means something more than if I if I watch a horror movie and I and I rate that. It's it's interesting you make the 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 remark about the original Wallander because for me, um, the the thing that this show is is it doesn't feel like a prequel to to me it feels almost like a reboot or a reimagining or, or something and and so and it's not the fault of the actor because the actor who plays Wanda he is superb and I'll talk about him in just a minute but he, he's got a, a Swedish accent and of course Kenneth Branagh who plays Wanda in the original has got the most original British accent you could possibly imagine so it's it's just kind of like it's it's hard to connect those two together and like there's other things. So like, I'm always wondering at what point is something going to happen to his, his girlfriend, uh, Mona, because she's not around in the future. So I'm always on edge thinking she's going to get, you know, killed off or something. But, um, that's a minor thing. You don't need to have watched Wanda. In fact, I would almost say if you haven't seen it, it may even be better still because you haven't got that. Cause Wanda was a very, very, very good series. And it's it sort of, I wouldn't say it casts a shadow. That's not at all the case, but it, it does. You do go in with a certain amount of expectation, and I've talked about that with season one. But with this season, I've kind of let go of that, and I think as a result, I've enjoyed it even more. And yeah, the, as I was saying, the cast—they're just great. So the guy Adam Paulson, who plays Wallander, he is absolutely superb. He's a—he's a really different type of actor. He brings a, a character that's—he's um, got so much empathy. He's an emotional detective he really has his heart on the line it's a yeah it's a really different type of detective than any other show and that's probably what i like about it is that it's just so much different in that respect look it sounds interesting i think i'm gonna have to add this to the list like i as i say now i love a good cop show i love the fact that i can just jump into this without sort of knowing that wider context as you say i imagine there's always little nods and and things that they and they might sort of pay homage to, but look, it's it's it sparked my interest. Yep, no, hundred percent. He's, um, I think the word I was looking for was vulnerable. He's got a, he's got a, like a, he's got a massive heart. He's a very vulnerable personality, which I wouldn't normally associate with a detective. Which I, and at the same time, this show is really brutal, um, but it's necessary and it adds to the tension. And yeah, Leanne Best as Raskin, Elise Chappell as Mona, um, Yasan Atua as um, as Rez. Uh, there's there's a lot of names here that I'm listing off then that I don't actually know that well and it's kind of good in some ways because it, it's you know you've got a totally new set of actors and actresses for me and it works and that's rare I don't think that happens all the time the scenery is beautiful so a lot of this is shot in Sweden which of course is where Wallander is based a lot of it's also Lithuania it's really Great production values. Honestly, I give this, I 100% recommend it. I give it full marks, all the guns, and I, I really can't wait for season three. Awesome. Well, I will add that to the list. Yep. It's uh, good stuff. Yep, on Netflix. Um, but yeah, other than the two things that we watched together, it's just been this series I've watched this week. How about you? 
Well, I've actually had a, a pretty light week as well, apart from the things that we've watched together. So I'm still continuing on with uh, season two of Ozark, but I haven't quite finished it yet. So I won't bring that uh, review to the table yet. But one show that I have watched, and it's a bit of a, a different one, it's called The Cuphead Show on Netflix. And this is a, a animated cartoon based off a, a pretty uh, fun and very difficult video game. And I just kind of put this on purely out of kind of just interest. And I, I guess that's, that's not true. You know, it stars it stars one of the friends of the show, Paul. You know, our very own um, Lord Commander Starscream. Oh, Frank Dodaro. Frank Dodaro. Yeah, he plays Mugman in this. And which I'll get into these characters in a moment. But what's kind of interesting about this show is it's – Reminds me a lot of like a, an old school Looney Tunes where like you just watch it and like there's some like quirky, quirky story of the week. And this is kind of no different. So basically what you've got here is you've got uh, 12 episodes. They range in length from, I don't know, 14 minutes to 10 minutes to, and each, each one apart from uh, one of them sort of a, a part one and part two, they're kind of just these unique independent stories that are connected to the video game universe um they've got all the same sort of characters out of there and they're just kind of like a, a quirky good time like it's almost a show you can have on in the background i would imagine if you've got a uh, young kids i imagine your kids would probably love this show like it's real kind of slapstick um and the the two main characters cuphead and mugman basically just get up to all all sorts of hijinks and all sorts of trouble and and it's so beautifully put together the the voice acting is incredible it, it's honestly a really fun time i've heard a few people talk about this funny enough so it's so bizarre you bring it to the table it's and everyone's been positive about it i see it's had some great reviews online and then you're throwing at me it's got a it's got frank Todaro as one of the voices that's that's amazing um there's a lot here. I just watched the trailer as you were talking, and you're right. It does have a very uh, Looney Tunes type vibe to it. It's got a very clearly a very adult style of humour. Um, I like the look of it. Yeah, I think it's it's something about just how vibrant and colourful it is, and you know this um, was the same with the with the video game. If you've played it, like so, it's transitioned beautifully. And there's often you know a bit of a, a disconnect when there's a video game. Uh, then that moves into a TV or movie adaption. But I think this couldn't be further from the truth. This this works so well. And I've heard they've already um, got a season two booked in, so we're going to be getting more of the Cuphead show. And I, for one, am looking forward to checking it out. Brilliant. And not that many episodes. It feels, like you say, like a real easy, easy watch. And something I can watch with the family is always good. Look, I, I feel like chuck it on on a Saturday morning while you're eating your cornflakes and everyone's going to have a great time. I feel like you know exactly how I spend my Saturday mornings. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, shall we jump on over to a movie that we've both watched this week, The Tinder Swindler? Indeed. So this this is available to watch on Netflix. If you haven't heard of it before, The Tinder Swindler, uh, the synopsis is, posing as a wealthy jet-setting diamond mogul, he wooed women online, then conned them out of millions of dollars, and now some victims plan for payback. This was a very intense watch. So obviously, it's a uh, you know it's, it's a crime documentary. It's it, it is presented as a film 
it's certainly you know it's pretty much two hours it's a film length but it it's all real and so much footage in this as well i mean one of the things that struck me before we dive into the the whole thing was how much of what actually happened we were able to see because of the fact that everyone's recording stuff on their cameras and photos and the so and, and the use of whatsapp in terms of showing how conversations were going back and forth it felt it, it is real but it felt like i was there as it was happening as opposed to a retrospective documentary it was incredible this very much reminds me of the the don't f with cats documentary that yep. we talked about a long time ago and it's one of those uh documentaries that just kind of draws you in and i think as you say the the amazing amount of uh, video footage and uh, content, the way they recreate um, some of the the storytelling with some of the um, the different artifacts, it's, it really just connects you to the to what this world is. And I think the other thing that's interesting, Paul, is you and I are not from the universe of Tinder. Like, like we don't we don't you know correct. We don't know. We like I've never even I've never even had Tinder. You know, like I. I, I don't know anything about it. Swipe, swipe, swipe right, swipe right. Swipe I right swipe I don't know right. what that yeah, means. That's it, yeah. Is right the good one? I, I think so. <laughs> and so kind of getting like a peek behind the scenes in this as well, it's just so fascinating. And I think much like the, the Don't F with Cats, like there's such a, a tragic story in all of this and the way it kind of unfolds, you you can't help but kind of look on and be like, no, don't do it. Don't give him the money. No, not more money. Um, And I think the... The other thing that just genuinely surprises me about, let's say, like con men or con artists or whatever you want to call them, I, where do you get the energy, Paul? Oh. I barely have the energy to maintain my own life. Like the fact that we are able to record this podcast is almost amazing. Imagine having like half a dozen people on the go, constantly trying to sort of milk money out of them to fund the next person's uh, story. That That's way too much admin for me. I, I came into this relatively blind and what I mean by that is it was it was a recommendation I'd had from someone at my workplace. And and so watching this, it took me a while to piece together what was actually going on because he'd conned me in the build-up of watching this. I had thought, oh, he is a rich guy. So, you know, why is he wanting to con money out of them? He doesn't need money. What's, what's in it for him? But of course, he wasn't a rich guy at all, really. He was just, it, it was a cash flow. Just, it was just going through him. It was unbelievable. That's why you can never go on Tinder, Paul. You'll get sucked in. <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll take you for everything before you know it. It's outrageous. And it was it was just, um, oh, yeah, I just found it a really effective way to tell a story, to tell a documentary as someone who uses WhatsApp, you know, in particular quite a lot, just it, it, even the noises and just watching how it would flow. It was, just, it was just terrifying seeing it play out. And then, of course, when it sort of dawned on me, as you said, that he's using the money that he's getting, from from one girl to then to then woo the next one, um, it's a it's a horrible thing. But what I what I again spoilers for anyone who wants to watch this. I'm afraid I have to, I can't not talk about it. But what was disappointing is that it was such a downer at the end because you know what happens you know with how he gets caught and and he seems to be done, but then. He, he he comes back um and yeah it was just like I, I just i just don't know how question for you Dan. having hit rock bottom and you know we see him eating scraps off of plates and he's in a bed at a hostel and you know then he goes to prison 
but and I'm thinking, oh yeah, it's going to end now, and that's it. This is a great documentary. Now he's back. He's released after five months. He seems to be as rich as before. How has he been able to go anywhere since he got released without being watched and constantly reported on? And anyone he talks to gets warned. I just, I was so disappointed by that. I think, you know, when you said before, having hit rock, rock bottom, I thought you were talking about me. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> not, not yet, not yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, I think there's a couple of things in there, right? So, and I think the one thing this documentary does well and is interesting is the fact that they have all three of these uh, women. And so this it's, it not only happens once, it happens multiple times. And I think the the, the fact that, you know, by the time it sort of happened to the third woman, it's like, oh my God, like this cycle's horrific. And it's kind of good that um, w- one of the women actually starts to get a bit of payback and, and starts obviously like selling his clothes, yes. some money. And obviously it comes nowhere near the amount that they've actually um, recovered, but good to kind of get something back. But I think to your point around the fact that, you know, this guy got let off pretty lightly. He kind of, you know, got hit with a, a wet bus ticket. Um, you know, it's barely any time in, in jail, um, back out doing it again. And I think, you know, surely this documentary has maybe shone a bit of a light on him and sort of made maybe more of the connection. But I imagine somebody who operates like this um, very quickly reinvents themselves. And I think what this kind of probably speaks to a little bit more, but again, not knowing anything really about Tinder, is but just when you think about people in, in general, people were just so – they they want to be loved. They want to be in a yep. good relationship. They want to be wooed. And you know, unfortunately, this guy, this guy Simon, he's got it. He's doing it. He's hitting that mark. Yeah, that's right. He's. I mean, yeah, he plays that role unfortunately so well. I did love, as you mentioned, the 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 the, the last girl at the end, the one who sort of kind of gave him a bit of his own medicine and sort of swindled him back out of his clothes. And then the other thing that you got. Um, was because you know we think about a documentary about a bad guy you don't expect to have so much as I said photos and footage but just all these voice memos that he was so he was rather than typing he was sending voice messages so we were listening to him to how frustrated he was and how angry he was and so that was very satisfying to hear but um, the, the other thing that's kind of sad is the is that these girls these women sorry they, they, they are out of pocket and you know I feel like, you know, it said at the end that they're still paying off their debt. And I just feel like that their stories have, I feel like, you know, now that they've shared them and they've, they've made such an effort, they have sold, their story has sold so many magazines and got people like us to click on a show like this. I feel like, I feel like those debts should be paid off for by, by the magazines and the Netflixes of this world. I completely agree. Like I, Obviously, I don't know the total amount that um, has potentially been been lost in this process, but in my mind, it almost would have been nice to see that like Netflix has has righted the boat and they've yeah. they've settled the debts or like the money from this documentary has gone directly to these women. Correct. Because and it's it's tough, right? Like you know, like yes, like obviously some mistakes have been made and and who's accountable for it? But the fact I I would hate to hear that. Um, Netflix is taking all the profit for this, and I, I'm, I'm hopefully they're not. Like, hopefully there's a bit more of a equitable outcome of this. Yeah, I hope so too. I think um, I don't know if shout out is the right word, but but even so, I'll use it. Shout out to the to the to the three women who appear in this documentary because you, when you see them go through the emotions towards the end, when you know when when things start to go very bad for them, and the emotions come to the to the forefront, it's hard to watch. But at the start. When they're telling the story, which, as I said, sort of sort of sucked me into thinking, oh, what's going on here? And 
you know, and they were saying about how great they felt and how wonderful it was. I thought they they managed to do that part so well, and that must have been extremely difficult for them. Mm-hmm. I, some of the scenes in this are, are so crazy, and it's you almost wouldn't believe it if the WhatsApp messages didn't exist. Like, yeah, when he's telling these girls, like, go and ask your mum for the money. Like, can you get any from your parents? Like, and like when the, like you're not only swindling these these individuals, like you're you're creeping into their families as well. And what I kept thinking about was, as, as you said, you know, who's got the effort, who's got the energy, but not just the energy, but. Who, who comes up with that in the first place as the scheme as the, i mean i you and i watch heist movies and, and movies with a sleight of hand and, and i guess you could use the word swindle there but to do that with a person and, a, and the emotion it's just a, it's just a whole different beast in that so just a, there's no other word than evil mm-hmm. it's outrageous. crazy crazy paul this is definitely a wild one i and this is probably me, but I find this with quite a few of these documentaries where I have quite a great time. Like, look, they always start strong, the middle strong, but I often find by the end I'm kind of looking for it to wrap up. And I think this documentary is probably no no different for me. Like, it kind of like lingers on maybe a little bit longer than it needs to. Yeah, I I didn't necessarily feel that way, but I do. Yeah, it doesn't have the ending that I. Uh... Like it's important that this story is told, but yeah, the ending really was oh no. And I guess the only positive, as you said, is that he's he's now, you know, his face is even more well known, and there's more publicity about him. And surely sooner or later, he's, someone's going to take him to the cleaners. Like the irony Gotham is, Paul, is he could, he could probably go to Netflix and make the Tinder Swindler two from his point of view, and probably make bank on it i am trusting that netflix would never allow that to happen (laughs) indeed indeed outrageous well that's the the tinder swindler that you can watch on at netflix here in new zealand then shall we move over to our movie of the week yeah so this is a little indie movie that paul and i managed to go along to the movie theater to to check out we went and watched matt reeves the batman so when the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. This has uh, been a long time in the making, Paul. This is Robert Patterson's outing as Bruce Wayne, the Batman. We, how are we going to do this, Paul? Are we going to talk a little bit general and then sort of move into spoilers? Or is this a, is this a full spoiler unleashed conversation? I think I think we go spoiler light. Actually, this idea came up in our Discord channel, and I think it was a great idea. We sort of let's go spoiler light, and then we'll give a warning for people to to scrub ahead to the next to use the show notes and go go ahead to the uh, to the news desk um, if they don't want to hear any more. Because appreciating this movie has only been out for just a week max at this point. Uh, no one wants to have this movie spoiled. So, but I will say this, Dan: one hundred and seven podcasts. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever looked as forward to discussing a movie with you as as this one, our first 2022 movie. Uh, this is this is a long movie, right? So this is two hours fifty five. So it's three hours, nearly three hours sat in the cinema. But for me, at no point did it feel long, or did I feel like it dragged, or have even anything close to filler. This movie flew by for me. Yeah, no, I agree. It it definitely is a movie that doesn't feel almost three hours long. Um, in fact, it's a movie where I'm I already want more. I want more of that universe. 
um, and I want to see more. I want to I, I want to go deep into it. So yeah, I don't think you'll have any problem with that. This is a um, a quite a, a dark and gritty Batman. If you don't sort of know much, know much about it, this is Batman in. Uh, sort of year two of him becoming the Batman. And so what, you know, there's some good comic books around this, but ultimately what this is kind of about is Batman kind of being the the world's greatest detective. Um, But also he's kind of just learning like what it means to, I guess, fight crime in Gotham and how, how far does he go? How, how dark and violent do some of these, um, these battles get? And, like year one Batman, which this movie isn't about, I would imagine there was probably a, 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 a lot darker, and it's a lot darker in the comic books. But year two, he's he's starting to get refined, but he's still not the the Batman that we're often used to, who's you know got all his tricks down pack, he's got all his tools. The Batcave is a a wonderfully functioning sort of office place. It's um that this is raw and gritty. I feel like you've definitely come into this with a lot more knowledge than me as well, because I didn't know sitting down if we were going to see some sort of origin or some sort of, um, you know, not Batman Begins, not a whole movie of it, because I was certain that we wouldn't get that. But I did. I had no no real knowledge. I've I've stayed away from it mostly. I have seen a couple of trailers briefly, but I feel like at this age, Dan, I can watch a trailer and completely forget about it within a, within a week or two. Yeah, what you said there—the grittiness, the the darkness—I really, really enjoy that part of it, and it's it's interesting because, yeah, you know, I, I would say straight away that, and I'll say this right off the bat, no pun intended, that it, it will—it's not my favorite Batman ever, but it is exactly the kind of Batman I wanted to go and see. It's a Batman like no other. It's a, it's a, it's a look and a feel. And I, um, I keep thinking for anyone who's played like the, the Arkham games that there is elements of that, of the, of the movie that this is like this, this, that game coming to life in this movie. It is, it is that, that film noir, that grittiness. It's exactly what I wanted. It's yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Right. And, in Gotham, like Gotham has always been a dark and dirty city. This Gotham is dark, dirty, and wet. Like it is always raining in the city. Like uh, to live there and not be corrupt or depressed or have <laughs> turn into a, a super crime lord would almost you, you you'd be one of the few. You know, it's it's such a grim place to live. It, literally, up until last week, if you'd asked me which version of Gotham City do I think is the most how I imagine Gotham would be, I would hands down have said it's the one that appears in the Gotham TV show. But this movie has taken it a step further and that look and feel of Gotham is the best ever. It's it's got its whole unique personality. It's got a it's it's never the sunshine is never coming out. It's always raining. It's always you know, you might get a sunset if you're lucky, but it's still going to be a muggy, cloudy one. It's a really amazing look and feel. And of course, that just sets the tone for the whole movie. It's just just dark. I actually think it, it and I know that it's it, it's only a coincidence and it's um, not an actual thing, but I think it very much shares a similar vibe to um, Todd Phillips, the Joker. Like that, that uh, Gotham feels 
very similar to me. Right. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing about this movie, Paul, before we uh, go deep into kind of the the more spoiler side of things, is that when I walked out of this movie, Samara's, Samara was in love with it. And she was like, what did you think? And I, it's taken me about four days to, to come up with what I think. And when I, I was trying, I, I couldn't put my finger on like how I felt about it. And so these things, these things I absolutely loved about the movie, like I, I absolutely loved Robert Patterson as, as Batman. I love Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I loved um, uh, Paul Dano as as the Riddler. I loved Andy Serkis as Alfred. Like I like I love Jeffrey Wright as um, Lieutenant James Gordon. It's like Colin Farrell as as Oz. All all incredible. I love the city. I was unsure how I how I sort of felt about the Bruce Wayne side of things, um, but in saying that. And I'll, it, it, actually, to be honest, I was also unsure how I felt about the Riddler. And I, I wouldn't commit to her of what I thought of the movie for a few days because I just, it, I had to sit with it and I had to really think about it. And the more I've sat with it, I've probably gone from on the Guns Akimbo scale, so let's say a, a three and a half. I've probably gone to a four. Like, I'm all guns on this. This is incredible. And I think it is a movie that does actually sit with you and continue to kind of percolate and you kind of think about it more and more and more. And I've just, I've just come to appreciate it so much more, I think for the, the detective element and the, the Riddler element. And I really want to sort of like get into this and when we start talking spoilers, but it, when I walked out, I wasn't sure I loved it, but now I'm in love, Paul. It's, it's right up there for me. Yeah. I, I guess in that respect, I was, more similar to Samara by the sense of it, because I was just, I, I, I was almost disappointed it ended. I was like, what? That's it? How can that be three hours? And, but coming in on the, what was I not sure about? It's interesting that you touched, you you specifically called out Bruce Wayne. And, and it's not that I didn't like it, but it, I didn't quite expect the way they wrote the Bruce Wayne in this, in this movie. And, and let's be clear that it's not the way Robert Pattinson portrayed that Bruce Wayne, because he, he did, the way they wrote the Bruce Wayne and I, you know, I talk a lot about Michael Keaton and, and when I think about actually why I, why I really like Michael Keaton in the Batman movies, it's actually mainly because how he is as, as Bruce Wayne. And I actually realized in the course of watching this movie, how much I loved the character of Bruce Wayne. And I can't say I have that with like a Clark Kent or a Peter Parker type thing. Bruce Wayne is a different level. And this movie doesn't give me that Bruce Wayne, but that's okay, because in this Bat universe, he is Batman, and that is his identity, that is his purpose, and when he's not in the suit, he's not comfortable. He's barely alive when he's not Batman. Well, I think this is the thing, and this is why I, I think why I've come to appreciate it more, and I imagine there's many people that came to this realisation much quicker than I have, but this is Batman learning to be Bruce Wayne as well and that is yeah. his least preferred persona and once you kind of like get into that sort of um, mindset more it's a it's almost a much better experience because we're, we're probably jumping into sport yeah. like sort of more like light spoilers now so this is probably your warning if you want to um, jump ahead to the the news the, look in the time time codes below but I think this is where 
you know, Bruce Wayne is kind of like, he's gaunt. He looks kind of, kind of weak. His hair's always looking real emo. He's, you can still see, you know, his kind of like sad eyes. And I, I feel like there was actually a scene in the movie where they almost intentionally had to show Robert Patterson with his shirt off just to actually remind people, oh no, he's, he's actually buff. It's not just the suit. Like he, he's been yeah. working out for this. That's right. Because when you see him as Bruce Wayne, he reminds me of the that real paisley sick kid on The Simpsons, um, like because he just he he doesn't look healthy. <laughs> um, but I think in the context of this is because this isn't about Bruce Wayne. This is about him being Batman and him him balancing that life. Since uh, the whole comment you made at the start of the podcast about emo, the one thing that's most satisfying about it is when when he takes the mask off, he's actually got the eye makeup on which of course they've never done before. Normally when the mask comes off, miraculously that eye makeup is gone. But of course for this Bruce Wayne, it just it suits the look completely. Um, it is, uh, yes, yeah, so we're into that spoiler zone. So it is, um, it is as you say, that trying to learn to become the persona of Bruce because he is he is now fully transitioned into the Batman. It's, it's a very different take and feel. It gives it that darkness. It means that the relationship with Alfred is so much different and, as you said, Andy Circus as as um, as Alfred is is just is just great. And another parallel with Gotham is he's playing that in a similar way that Sean Pope does with with Alfred. And it's a really he's a, Andy Circus is a perfect choice for Alfred. And of course, spoiler light, what happens to Alfred in the movie? Um, I actually thought, oh yeah, that 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 makes sense. Actually, what's happening here because we're not interested in the Bruce story. We're only interested in the Bat story. And so I thought that's why they um they went in in the direction they did. And I also like that you know like I'm I don't think we ever need to see an origin story for Batman, Spider Man, or the Hulk ever again. Like every human on Earth should know how those guys got their powers. Like like when you're born, you should just be told. Look, Spider Man gets bitten by a spider. Gamma rays for Bruce Banner. Anyway, I like the fact that um we. We didn't have to sort of see uh, Bruce Wayne's parents get sort of murdered, the pearls drop on the ground. Like, yeah. this purely was a look, th- they got murdered, and actually, they're not as squeaky clean as, you know, they're always portrayed. Like, yeah. they've, they've got a bit of a, a past in Gotham, and they're maybe tied up with some people that are not too good. And that maybe is why they ended up dead. And I think, again, another thing that kind of, I think, shapes. Um, Patterson's Batman into who he is, right? Because he's kind of been living this lie that his his family are the sort of like the the core of Gotham, which which is the way they're always portrayed. But that's that's not quite the case. I love how you call out about the Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne not being as squeaky clean as they always are in every other iteration. Because again, that gives this movie its own feel. I remember when we reviewed uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I said at the time to you, "This isn't a movie; it's an experience." And I have a very similar feeling with this, and without trying to sound too pretentious, this is, in its own, it is a piece of art. You know what I mean? It is a, a grand thing. It knows exactly what it is. And it's, it's confident in what it is, and it it doesn't try to conform or or relent or appease any expectation that a, a bat fan might have coming into this. And I think it's so much the stronger for that. And right off the bat, for me, the the Riddler is the you know let's with all due respect to Jim Carrey because you and I like him as an actor but this is essentially the first time we've had the Riddler as a central villain and um you know 
he not just that, but he's threatening, he's terrifying, and and alongside him, Colin Farrell gives the performance of a lifetime for me. He is the best penguin I've seen since Robin Lord Taylor in Gotham. I promise I won't keep talking about Gotham, but there's so many things there. Um it's the first time we've had the penguin in 30 years since Danny DeVito in, in Batman Returns. So straight away those two things feel different as well, but just the way they, they play it out, it's, it's its own thing. Well, I think that's the thing, right? And I think this is another thing which I kind of had to go on a bit of a, a journey with after after watching the movie is with the Riddler, like we're so used to in, you know, virtually any superhero movie, the villain or somebody being so strong and so powerful and, you know, often there's magic and all sorts of things involved. But this this Batman it could almost be set in real life, right? Like, in the, yeah. in the, like, there's no, there's no special powers. There's no, you know, obviously, you know, Batman would be a bit quirky, but in today's age, who knows? But I think, you know, what's interesting about the Riddler is this is kind of a, an everyday guy who's kind of like, obviously, he's been, he's been pushed to the brink and he, he does some pretty bad things, but he's not, and the Riddler's never been about this, but he's not muscle. He's not trying to, um, overpower someone. He, he's trying to outsmart and outthink people. And you know, Batman's kind of his 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 greatest um, challenge when it comes to this. And I think Paul Dano did such a, an amazing job. And I I think at the time I was kind of like, do I like this Riddler? Do I like this weird mask he wears with his glasses over the top? Like, but I think the more and more I've thought about it, the more and more I've come to appreciate. It. And I just really like the direction they went. And I think as you mentioned with um, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. The most incredible, um, I guess, fat suit and makeup I, I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, you know, you like inc- just incredible. Like, no wonder people didn't recognize that it was Colin Farrell under that suit. And there's there's one scene in the movie which I just appreciated so much was when um, Colin Farrell's character's handcuffed and he's kind of like wobbling off yes. in the background. Yes, and it it so deliberately looks like the old school penguin that we know and love. Yeah. And and I, just, I loved everything about that scene. That was a nice little nod. It was really well done. I read somewhere, and I think it was Starbucks. I could be wrong, but I read somewhere that Colin Farrell wanted to test how good the suit was. And he I think he went to a Starbucks and no one reacted to him. And it, it makes you understand why sometimes people can get through customs on fake passports because there's just not not even... It's the best I've since, since I've seen uh, probably Anthony Hopkins as, as Alfred Hitchcock. It was just extraordinary but going back to your comments about Paul Dano I remember talking about him and how much I loved him in uh, War and Peace uh, I, I watched and I thought he was terrific and when we see him in that coffee shop at the end you know minus and he he just has the most I don't know how to say this to him but the most plain normal ordinary face but they just do enough with his, his hair and his facial expression to make him terrifying and uh, there, I've got two more people I want to talk about, but yeah, Paul Dano, amazing. Um, so the other people on my list that I, Catwoman, Zoe Kravitz, yeah, her 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 sort of version of Selena Kyle, I love it. I loved the relationship between um her herself and Batman. I loved how uh athletic and kind of um you know, not the sort of pure uh, good versus bad, like real sort of um, real sort of grey in terms of her actions, uh, like probably not sort of 
doing the things that the law would agree with, but doing things that are kind of, you know, she she's righting some wrongs. And and I actually thought the chemistry between uh, Robert Patterson and Zoe Kravitz was was awesome. Yeah, it was spot on, and it was that relationship between selena and batman as opposed to selena and bruce that we traditionally might get and then we sort of see the the duality of that but it was it was all with with batman and i thought that was well done because she makes that selena role something different she really she really makes it her own she the way they wrote it you know they didn't try to overplay the whole cat thing which is a dangerous you know it's kind of a you know you don't want to go too far because it can become a little bit and then you start going into the the 60s show or even you know i mean michelle fiver did it superbly and as did Anne Hathaway but there was they, they just as you, I think what you were touching on before Dan about how it could almost be real life like it would be feasible the way they played it off with her um, and then the other the other ones I had noted here Dan Jeffrey Wright I thought was again a best ever performance as as Gordon it was like superb casting and um who else did I want to talk about? I've already forgotten who I wanted to talk about now. I'm sure I had someone else. Oh, um, what's his name? Uh, Peter Sarsgaard. He was good as a DA, but John Turturro as Falcone. That was the big shock for me. Because, again, he's a, he's a character. My, my, most of my Gotham knowledge is through the TV series Gotham and, and, and the, a bit in the games, but I know that Falcone is a massive character. And so when I saw him on screen as Falcone, I thought, oh, no. Because he just makes me laugh too much. I think of him in comedy roles or roles like in Transformers, but he did not make me laugh once during this movie. He's It's kind of like how you sort of think Joe Pesci can make you laugh in Home Alone, but then Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, he was terrifying and absolutely standout. Good shouts. There's a couple of other bits I'd like to talk to you about, Paul. So one, did you notice um, when... Um, Robert Patterson's and I guess in Wayne Manor, and did you see the um, William Shakespeare headbutt? Yes, that I did. Sort of in the background, and you know, so such a great sort of shout out to the the sixties TV show. Yeah, I I wondered how many other people were going to spot that because it was it was just there. It wasn't used. You know, they didn't use it to make the 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 bat poles appear or anything but um even the when the phone was ringing at wayne manor with the sort of like the way the light the way the phone was lit up not quite mm-hmm. like the 60s but and this was the thing about how i said you know it doesn't try to appease anyone or conform but it does also very subtly nod with respect just little things like that like colin farrell's penguin waddling away just little things and it was wayne manor was a very very different look it was the one uh, i talked about how much i like gotham but wayne manor was a very different wayne manor to i think any other that we've we've seen before yeah no that definitely we're so used to seeing like the big mansion right and the this is the big driveway that comes in and it's the perfect kind of you know big sweeping shot of the Batmobile as it kind of like busts through some bushes into a cave um and we we didn't quite get that it was much more kind of urban and you know going through sort of alleyways and down stairwells and it was it was it was kind of gothic wasn't it sort of Wayne Manor in in this case almost like a a big kind of big church tower or something in the middle of town it was what was your second thing you want to talk about um well so I guess it kind of gets into the 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 action and 
violence, I guess, of Batman. And I, I actually didn't find it too violent. In fact, you know, I I would have been happy for them to even like turn it up a little bit more in some places. But I I appreciated how gritty it was when you know Batman would sort of like come into the the group of people with like clown faces, or you know, at the end when he's he's fighting the the Riddler and his kind of henchmen. It's like I I love just how how gritty and real it was, particularly when they've got guns and he's like he's like no guns and there's a, a fantastic scene I'm jumping around over here fantastic hallway scene where you know it's sort of it's all dark and there's like gunfire and he's just it reminded me of the uh, the the Daredevil scene that which was wasn't in the dark but just you know just an awesome shot of just someone completely wrecking everyone but I guess the thing I ultimately want to get to with this Paul is when Batman is down. Mm. And he's taking a bit of a beating. He injects himself. Yes. Is he is he injecting himself with like the the bane type venom? Is that what's happening? Is that what we're seeing? Because it was a very green type substance. If you look closely at the uh, utility belt, it quite clearly had it labelled bat medicine. Oh yes. So um, <laughs> no, I um, I don't know. I did I did for a second think about bane, but I just it was funny. Um, I was talking to someone about it, and I just said to them. It was adrenaline. It was an adrenaline shot, but it, it clearly was something different to that. But um, definitely a handy thing to have if you're in a project meeting and it's getting a bit boring and you really need to sort of start talking. Definitely useful. If I pass out in the project meeting, I don't want anyone risen. Just like <laughs> let me let me go for the afternoon. You know. Can I talk to you, Dan, about the music in this? Because uh, Michael Giacchino, who has done a wonderful job with with Star Wars, with with Rogue One, and with other scores, I thought. I'm going to say right off the bat, and I keep saying the bat, I, I don't know why, but that's what I'm saying. I loved the music for this. It was very different. It was very a very simple theme. So I'm a massive fan of the Hans Zimmer Dark Knight theme. I, for me, I would say that's possibly top five theme ever. And of course, the Danny Elfman theme from Keaton's Batman is amazing. But this theme, it, it isn't grand. It is simplistic. But again, it feels right for it feels perfect for this movie for this batman and i really thought it did a wonderful job what did, what was your feeling uh look i couldn't agree more i thought the the whole thing this, this is a, a piece of art this is uh the whole thing from the way it's shot to the the color palette to the the music the soundtrack was perfect and i'm gonna ask you a question paul and be careful how you answer it mm. how did you feel about the you know we've had many a conversation about the uh, Nirvana trailer. Um, did it work for you more in the movie? And there's only one correct answer. So the the the, the answer I'm going to give you actually, and this is interesting because my I have very few complaints about this movie. I'm giving it all the guns. It's the, it's the best movie I've seen in a long time. But and so my biggest complaint is the same complaint I had with the trailer, and that is with the use of the so it's, it's something you know, the, the the Nirvana song. It's uh, something in the way. It's something in the way, and it's. Like I, I remember having I bought that album on cassette as a teenager, and I, I love that album. I love that song, but for something about it, takes me out of that universe and uh, brings me to to our world, and it just brings me away. And, it, and I, at the same time, I'm a hypocrite because they, you know, because Ava Maria was also used frequently throughout this as the Riddler's theme. Um, but that did work for me, and it didn't take me out of it. I guess the difference is that's a 19th century piece of music, whereas the the, the Nirvana just 
brought me into real life and i just i i remember talking about the first suicide squad movie not appreciating the music in that i remember not liking the the come together music in the justice league it's just a thing that i just i don't want anything of this world that's why we're in gotham not new york city i don't want anything of this world coming into it well <laughs> it's the wrong answer that's the wrong answer and that's the end of half measures so um no look i i think the reason i'm i am so like I, i'm a huge nirvana fan like it's it's my real sort of like ride or die band when i think about um what what's sort of important to me in music and for me nirvana is so grunge it just it just aligns so perfectly in that universe for me and never once does it sort of take me out of the moment so it's interesting that we have such different experiences with it um and yeah obviously one of them is right it's it's not it it didn't affect me too much and i don't think i would have mentioned it necessarily if you hadn't asked me it's it's not a biggie for me but it's only because you specifically asked me about it it's and they don't overuse it as well right they use it sparingly and i will give them credit that when they did use it it was poignant and it felt as the right place to, to to use it but um now, the question I have for you, Dan, since we're going into real spoilers now, so right towards the end, is that the Joker that the Riddler's talking to? 100% that's the Joker. 100%? Okay. Um, yeah, it is. And I think, um, I hope, Paul, that the Joker, like, and I I don't get the, the sense that it will be, but it could be, I guess, that the Joker will be our next villain. I think that that was kind of a... Uh, a light tease, but the, I think there's they've already given us clues in the movie to other other villains like Hush. Um, you know, imagine like with the, how we've seen a, a real life Riddler. What would a real life um, Doctor Freeze look like? And and how crazy that would be. And I, I think there's far more interesting stories to tell. Okay, I, I love the Joker. I I mean, I the movie that came out in 2019 with um, Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Todd Phillips. Mm. Top, top movie. But I, I, I don't want to see another Joker at the moment. I, I want to see this Batman do different things. And because these universes aren't connected, I think it would muddy the waters to have another another Joker, particularly when you're thinking about doing a Joker 2, because I think I don't think the average viewer separates all these things out. Like, we're kind right. of, like, diving deep into it, right? So... Yeah, I I think it was the was the Joker, but I don't necessarily think we'll necessarily see him straight away. We might if there's like three or four movies. Yeah, sure, definitely. I'm I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, and I don't want them to muddy the waters, as you say. So yeah, I think I would be really interested to see if you know if there is a sequel, and I really hope there's at least one. Um, I'd really be interested to see the Penguin moving into a more central villain role because. The reason I sort of mentioned that is because, you know, it was a three hour movie, but I didn't feel like I got as much Penguin or as Oswald as I wanted. I mean, every time I did see him on screen, he stole the scene every time I thought, but I wonder if there's no room for him because, of course, what's happened with Gotham and, you know, everyone's going to be rising up. There's a chance for him to sort of maybe get a little bit of an empire going, and I'd love to see him do that role. I, I agree. And I think. 
And I tried to, like, I watched this trailer once when it first came out and then tried to avoid it as much as possible, despite it's been sort of heavily put on just about every every platform you can imagine. I thought I heard somewhere that this was a little bit of a, a Penguin origin story, but I didn't feel like I got that out of no, any of this movie. Not at all. Um, I, I think we got an introduction to the Penguin, but I think you're right. Like, that's that's a, a bad guy that's good to go and already on the on, on the sites of Batman. Yeah. I, um, I was... Yeah, there's a few characters I'd love to see come back, and obviously some of them, some of them won't be coming back. But uh, I, I'd love to see a little more of the Batcave, um, the Batmobile. Now, there's an interesting one then, because I remember, I remember just having a vision of it from the trailer, and then I saw the Batmobile Lego toy in the shops, and I just thought, ah, because you know Keaton's Batmobile, super. Um, Christian Bell's just so so immense and I just thought ah oh, is this Batmobile really but when I saw it on the screen and I heard it in the distance you know, with just the lights I thought it again I thought for this Batman for this Gotham I thought it just really did the job well and I really actually really enjoyed it I agree I I wasn't sort of feeling hyped on it for the same reason actually like looking at the Lego set I was like uh like don't I don't know about this and then just seeing I think I don't know about the the cinema that you were in, but when the Batmobile started up, yes. like the whole cinema just like shook, shook. Yep. and it almost became like it almost in a, a shiver down your spine, right? Because it's like this is a new character entering the arena, and it was just a, a as the Batmobile always is a force to be reckoned with. I think I would go so far as to say because you hit the nail on the head. I'd go so far as to say that the noise of the Batmobile is the the best. Batmobile noise we have ever had in any iteration of the Batmobile. I thought it was absolutely exceptional. I loved the bike scenes as well. I thought they were really well done. You must have liked some of that as a as a motorbike enthusiast, Dan. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, well, the bikes is interesting, right? Because the bikes kind of played two roles. Like they were kind of used as like follow vehicles, right? So that if they were like spying on someone or just trying to suss out a scene. So on one hand, the bikes were quite low key, right? Like no big rumbling exhausts or sort of over over the top. But I, I did enjoy the bikes since they were very cool. I'll tell you one thing that gave me much anxiety was just seeing Batman's cape flown around and me constantly thinking it's going to get caught up in his back wheel and like rip him off his of his bike. But in saying that, I think we should it's probably something we should touch on with Batman. What about when he dives off the building? Yes. And he, he gets smashed and I was like, oh God, this is the next half an hour is going to be about Batman recovering. But no, we're just straight back into the action like this is the the year two Batman that I love, right? Because he's like, Batman that we know would have just glided through that whole thing, that escape would have been effortless. Whereas this is someone like kind of panicked, escaping, trying to pull off a, a clutch landing and destroys themselves in the process and has to get up and sort of pick themselves up and, and carry on crime fighting. And I, I thought that was just another great nod to, this is this is not perfect Batman, this is Batman learning and growing. Yeah, no, he's he's the Padawan sort of in that respect, I guess. And what you mentioned about when he was when he was about to dive off, even before he does the dive and then sort of messes up the landing, there's a moment before he dies where he actually quite audibly gulps and makes a facial expression of like, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to have to. And that's not something that I can recall seeing in any on-screen Batman uh, beyond young Bruce Wayne in, in Gotham, a separate thing. But in terms of the movies, 
I've never seen Batman hesitate like that in terms of, do I really want to dive out of this building? And I thought that gave him a human quality, which just added to the realism that you keep talking about. I can't wait to watch this movie again. Um, I, like I would happily go back to the cinema to watch it. I, I'm, it's definitely going to be one to own. I can't wait to sort of just watch it again and again. And it's it's making me want to watch the other Batman movies. Did we see uh, Salvatore Moroni? I feel like I heard his name somewhere mentioned, but now I can't actually think. I was just looking through the cast. I can't actually see anyone listed as Moroni, but I seem to recall. I don't think we did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look, you're right, Dan. I can't wait either. There's so much greatness in here. For me, I feel like one, two, three, four. I reckon if we're doing peak performances, I reckon there's four four people in this movie who have just got an absolute peak performance for me. Robert Pattinson, mm. Zoe Kravitz, Colin Farrell, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, there could be five in here who I'd say, uh, Paul Dano. I mean, it's just exceptional. These are, I'm trying to sort of give, the, give, give the weighting of how, of how not well cast they were, but each of them gave potentially the greatest performance of their time. And, and that all just came together. And Matt Reeves deserves a real, I, f- I feel like he was just confident with what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it and not conform to things. And, you know, what have we got here? 8.5 out of 10, popularity number one, meta score 72. I feel like there's a lot of people who won't have got it out of this, who may be coming out of this how you felt at the start and aren't quite sure yet. But I feel like give this one a sequel or two and it could be uh, a trilogy that we talk about in the same way we talk about the uh, Christopher Nolan trilogy. I think often the hardest thing with these movies, right, is I want to go and see a trilogy like in a couple of months' time. I mean, like the next movie. Yes. Like, I don't want to wait like four years for the next one. So, like, I hope everyone's got a clear schedule because let, let's get this moving. You should have been a project manager, Dan. Uh, I give this all the guns. All the guns for me as well. Um, all the guns and more. It's a it's a top watch. And I feel like, do I even need to ask them? But of everything we've talked about this week on the podcast, what's your pick of the week? It's got to be Batman. I can't go past it. It's um, it's too good. It's n- nothing compares, unfortunately, to the the brilliance that is Batman. I um, I feel sorry for Young Wonder because I feel like any other week there's a real strong possibility I'll be saying, oh yeah, that's my pick of the week. But you're right, the Batman takes it out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Yes, so anyone who's now joining us, um, you missed some great spoilers. Please go and see The Batman. We fully recommend it. Indeed. All right, so a little bit of Star Wars news for you first, Paul. Good. And this is a bit of news that has come out about The Empire Strikes Back. So it's you know 40, year, 40 years old now. Uh, and so Mark Hamill's recently been interviewed, and they talked about, you know, the final scene in Empire Strikes Back, where Luke, Leia, R2-D2 and C-3PO are looking out over the over the stars, um, that almost wasn't included in the movie at all. And it was apparently added back in very late in the production after filmmakers started worrying that the original ending had too much of a negative tone. And fascinating. It is fascinating. I'm just trying to take it back a scene as to what would have been the final scene had they not tacked that on. And I'm guessing... Luke in the back to tank, right? Yeah, like, okay. Too much negativity. Yeah, and so I guess, you know, because I was the same. I was like, would it have ended negative? But I guess in in the context of of the movie, right, we might not have known whether Luke was going to survive. Like, we don't know. We didn't know back then what Bacta truly meant, whereas, you know, in today's world, 
back to heals all wounds, you know, probably would grow him a new new hand back if it needed to. Right. Um, and I, so I think it's such an iconic scene. And I, even just saying those names, I can see those characters looking through the um, the port of the, the spaceship and, and standing there together. And that scene giving you hope for Return of the Jedi. So amazing. I, I, I love a good sort of story like this. I, I love that too. It's it's fascinating the things that still come, yeah. You know, as you say, forty years later, still come out. And I, part of me wishes they ended it even darker because I think these this day and age you would do if you you know think about the Last Jedi or anything else. I feel like it would be. I just love that sort of that Wrath of Khan ending is what I want. And I'm almost I'm now that Max mentioned this. I'm almost almost disappointed they ended it on a on a wee high. Um, now this is a if you're a Walking Dead fan uh, you might want to jump forward just uh, 30 seconds in this bit of news because this is a spoiler despite the fact it being all, all over the internet <laughs> so they've just an AMC has just announced that there's going to be a new Walking Dead spin-off set in New York City and it's going to be called Isle of the Dead and it's going to be starring uh, Negan and Maggie which you know good good for them for creating a spin-off series but this is way too early Paul you can't be announcing that like you know Maggie could have died like now I know that we've got that she's gonna live like same with Negan I'm outraged yeah I've seen this a number of places this week so as you say it's it's gonna be hard for anyone to avoid it and I am interested in this sequel more so than the one we've talked about before in terms of the the Daryl and Carol whiny show, because uh, I feel that these two characters have more potential. But tell me about this when we're wrapping up. In fact, let's go Disney style. Let's wrap the final episode of The Walking Dead and then let's have the trailer for this. Honestly, Paul, mind-blowing. Carrying on with the news. Uh, welcome back if you jumped forward a few seconds. So um, a little bit of gaming news. So the uh, God of War, which is a... A PlayStation video game, um, fantastic game. It looks like they are bringing the God of War TV show to Amazon Prime, so that will be very interesting. I think this is one of those ones which they're going to have to work very hard at getting it right, but um, I'm intrigued. I think there's a lot of great stories to tell in the God of War universe, so I'll see what happens there. Uh, Netflix has suspended its service in Russia, so 1 million subscribers no longer have access, plus 4 Netflix original productions have been halted. So that is interesting, right? Like, interesting the way that the the world has sort of able to respond to the the war. I'm surprised it's just a million. I would have thought it had been way more than that. That's, that's, that's interesting in itself. Mm, probably a lot to unpick with that. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, Zoe Kravitz, who we were just talking about, uh, who played Selena Kyle slash Catwoman in The Batman, was apparently turned down for the role um, as Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises due to the colour of her skin. Uh, according to a recent interview, she was described by a casting director as potentially, what she says here is, words were thrown around like too urban. Wow, which is that's outrageous. Her- horrific. Horrific. I am glad that the world is moving on um, and starting to make some of those right, some of those wrongs right. Uh, another bit of Batman news. So 
with the the Batman movie, there was a talk of a, a new Batman uh, TV show on HBO called uh, Gotham PD that has now evolved to become away from sort of being Gotham PD, and it's now going to become an Arkham haunted house type story, oh. which I think is really interesting, right? Because obviously we've had a Gotham TV show, um, but I think having a, a series that focuses on Arkham, I'm intrigued. Definitely, I'm interested. Oh, that see, there's there's a story to be told there that we have no uh, on screen. You know, we have got nothing. Like you say, we had Gotham, so that that would be fascinating for sure. Mm. And final bit of news for me: so Disney Plus is looking to introduce a cheaper sub model, but it's going to include ads. So I ask you this, Paul: Would you be willing to pay less but to have ads in your streaming service? No. Not for not for Disney Plus. If it was others, I mean, I get triggered enough with Amazon Prime playing me an advert at the start of everything I want to watch, even though I've paid for Amazon Prime. But Disney, there's absolutely no way, Dan, that I'm going to be watching Obi-Wan Kenobi. And just when it gets to a good bit, suddenly I'm seeing what's on sale at the, at the supermarket. No way. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Straight from uh, Mr. Porkenauer. Any news that you're in? <laughs> no, you've, you've actually covered off the... The things I was going to cover off, um, but to give uh, a bit more weight to that argument, I'm a very frugal man, Dan, and so if I can save a dollar or two, I will, but not not for Disney, no. Look, I can concur that you are a frugal man. In <laughs> fact, I have been talking to Paul for years about selling a Spotify account, and he's shown <laughs> me the spreadsheet breakdown of those costs and how it's just inefficient. So, um, look, you know, we'll leave it to you, Paul, to find the best deals for our listeners. CDs forever. Hashtag physical media. Um, it's an ongoing story. Um, Dan, the mailbag is the quietest I think we've had in nearly in nearly two years. We had no shares or retweets from any actors or writers or directors, so there's nothing on our social media. There was no questions this week for us either. However, we did uh, get a request um, on our messenger, actually, um, from regular contributor Mr. Chalmers from the USA, who has requested... Could we do a peak performance for Kate Winslet? And I was amazed. So I checked through our list and saw that we actually hadn't done one for, for Kate Winslet. So for the second time this year, Dan, I'm going to proclaim live on the podcast that next week's peak performance will be Kate Winslet. So, uh, so yeah, there you go. There's the decision. I think we need to get that list on the website, actually. Great idea. I look forward to that. That should be a, an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, we have got a list of our peak performances. We should get it on our website, Dan, so people can see you know who we've already done. But I did, on that note, I did notice this week, Dan, that on our website, uh, the web team have now published our movie review database. So this is available on halfmeasurespodcast.com. If you just click on movie reviews, you'll see a list of, there's over 300 movies, Dan, that we have reviewed. Can you believe that? Since we started recording and you can sort it by A to Z or by the year of the movie or by podcast episodes. So I think it's, it could be useful for any new listeners who might want to check out uh, a few different reviews of some of their favorite movies, but they don't necessarily want to sit back through a hundred plus episodes of our catalog then. I get it. I get it. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. And so are you telling me, Paul, that we haven't heard from our friends in Ireland this week? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I got two suggestions for last week's peak performance, which was Olivia Coleman. So we had Ryan from Oakland, who went with the father, which is a, a great choice, and I had completely forgotten it. Um, but Paddy 
from Time Traveling Inc. podcast has finally been beaten and he, he put on our Facebook post, it's finally happened, a peak performance for someone I haven't seen in a whole lot. You win this round. And so he gave us a peak performance for Olivia Common of Hot Fuzz. And that's the mailbag this week. Wow, the, the three, two, one. Well, hopefully uh, next week he can be, I'm sure with this week's uh, peak performance, he'll be, he'll be back in fine form. Yes, indeed. Oh, I, th- I think you will. It's, it's interesting, right? Because when I when when we talked about Olivia Coleman, I was like, oh, that's great. There's so much stuff, but not everyone has seen all her stuff. And one thing, though, that I think a lot of people have seen, but perhaps have forgotten she was in, because I discovered it in the week, was she was the uh, she was in the office opposite Ricky Gervais as the person coming in, doing some sort of an assessment on him or something. And it's so funny watching it back now, retrospectively, knowing who she is and seeing her with, with Ricky. It's amazing. Good shout, good shout, Paul. Well, shall we jump on over to our peak performance for this week? Indeed. So this week, Dan, our peak performance is the legend, the one and only JT himself, John Travolta. He's electrifying, Paul, that's for sure. There's uh, there's so many movies from John Travolta. Like, I honestly, I, I could just pick so many, like, I could borderline put Grease up here just because it's such a classic, but I'm not going to. Um, but, you know, that's it's. I I would respect anyone that would because, oh, what, what a good movie. Um, I am going to go with, for my honourable mention, I'm going to go with the 1997 movie Face Off, which stars uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. And this is, like, just such a, a memorable movie for me because – and for some reason, it just it just it, it struck me as, as something genius because they basically the, the the premise of the movie is yeah a good guy and a bad guy end up swapping faces through some horrific surgery and then all of a sudden as a as a viewer of the movie you you kind of are like your mind's messed with because you're like wait a minute wait, wait Nicholas Nicholas Cage is the the good guy or the bad guy now and it's Honestly, I think John Travolta's performance, real top tier in this, such a fun movie. John Woo, awesome director. If you are looking for like a good 90s action movie, Face Off is the one for you. So not only not only a shout out to John Travolta, but a shout out to, to Nick Cage. It's a good one. Nice. That's your, that's your honourable mention? Honourable mention. And for my, my peak performance, I just can't go past it, Paul. I, I have to go for Pulp Fiction. Uh, 1994, John Travolta as Vincent Vega. He is he's doing the Lord's work, Paul. He's taking his boss's wife out for a night on the town. There's shenanigans. There's all sorts of drama. He's bringing the vengeance. I just like everything about this is just, is so fantastic. And, and you know we've reviewed all of the um, Tarantino movies, and Pulp Fiction's are you know really up there for us. And I think like John's performance in this movie is, is so good. Like he just plays the that the henchman and the, the the kind of the the lovable thug in such a good way and you know alongside a star studded cast so for me face off in pulp fiction great choices i was clicking on them as you were talking about it and for some reason as i brought up face off i was expecting to see travolta and uh and christian slater and then i realized no that's broken arrow and i'm just getting my 90s uh movies Another great movie. <laughs> getting them all mixed up together um which is uh, which is interesting because my 
my honourable mention is uh, an action movie as well. It's 2009's The Taking of Pelham 123 opposite Denzel Washington. And I think for some reason, I always love a good train movie anyway. That, that always draws me in for some reason. But I just felt like this was a movie that got a fair bit of stick and actually I think is a, is one of the greatest sort of action popcorn thriller movies you could ever hope to watch. It's just, it's just so good. It's classic Tony Scott action and Travolta in it is, I found him quite genuinely, genuinely menacing and, and sort of quite threatening and, you know, the support cast around him was, was superb. And yeah, as you say, it could have been any number of movies as a, as an honorable mention, because there was only going to be one peak performance. And just like you, it's the same. It's 94's Pulp Fiction. It's just so iconic, just so, um, just so cool, you know, just, just, uh, immensely cool. And, and just a great rapport with Samuel Jackson. I feel like someone else wouldn't have had that relationship and he just maxed it out. I feel like this relaunched his entire career and, you know, with respect to his work before, and I exclude Greece uh, and I exclude Saturday Night Fever, but I just think where were the performances like this before that? Because we've seen a fair few performances subsequently, but I felt like there was like a massive period where I was just like, John Travolta is not someone who I choose to watch, but from this movie onwards, he's got my attention every single time. He's, you know, I mean, the $5 shake, the the scenes with um, Uma Thurman, the dancing, everything, just just absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, good choice of peak performance. I was really excited when I saw his name come through. Yeah, no, I think uh, good shout. I think uh, something might have gone a little bit wrong with his career around sort of 2000 with Battlefield Earth, but that's probably a, a conversation for a, a whole other podcast. It was so interesting because when, that, when I was looking through it, I thought, do you know what? I actually thought he was all right in that movie. And I thought, I can't go there with this podcast, but I actually thought it wasn't his fault that the movie was bad. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not lifting up this rock. Okay. <laughs> but look, those are great shouts. I guess that brings us to the end of a, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Thank you for listening in. Uh, do get in touch with us if you've got anything you want to feedback. If you've seen the Batman, be really interested to hear your thoughts as well any suggestions for us peak performance halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media and as always a very special shout out to our patreon producers samara king trisha brady diana kanawa and linda tavner we couldn't do it without you if you too would like to become a patreon of the show um, then you can find those details in the show notes below but until next week everyone adios